Oh, let's uh, bow again together. Father, we do come before you and thank you for this time you've given us today. And I pray as we look into your word, you would help us to understand what you intended and help us to be instructed, to be uh, corrected, changed, Lord God, that we would become more like your son, Jesus. I pray your word would penetrate our hearts and that we would leave today changed. That uh, those who don't know you might come to faith and those of us who do become more like your son, Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Well, you might notice on your, in your bulletins there's an outline and the title of the message today is, What Are You Thinking About? And I could ask you that question right now. What are you thinking about? You know, there's an old saying that says, sow a thought, uh, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a life. The reality is what we think about really does then uh, move towards what we do and who we are. There's a proverb, that portion of it, in Proverbs 23, 7, that says, So as he thinks within himself, so he is. So he is. You see, our thinking really brings about where our actions are at. In uh, Psalm 10, concerning the non-believer, concerning those who have rejected the Lord, we see the thoughts of them. Psalm 10, verse 1, Why dost thou stand afar, O Lord? Why dost thou hide hide thyself in time of trouble? In pride, the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots they have devised, for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. The reality is those who don't know Christ, every thought has nothing to do with God. It has to do with me, not me, but, you know, yourself, right? That's what it is. What we think about really is an indication of who we really are. So as he thinks, so he is. Now today we're going to see if we're believers, we should have a different mindset. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he gives us his spirit and the ability to think differently, to have our thoughts changed that they would be in line with what God says, But yet that's a continual battle throughout the day. You see, I battle every day. I get tempted about this or that or get distracted. And God wants us to apply his truth to our thought life that we would then manifest his character in our lives. So today we're going to see the mindset of a heavenly citizen as as we address the question, what are we thinking about? Now turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And we are rapidly coming to a close in our study in the book of Philippians. So I'm going to remind us of the context of the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul is writing the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi. These are believers in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. And we have here that uh, Paul was actually writing from Rome in which he was imprisoned for preaching the gospel now, this letter is one of his four prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, most likely written 10 years after the church had become to faith, around 62 A.D. Now, he has already lovingly prayed for this church, desiring them to become to grow in their love and discernment in the context of right knowledge in Christ. 
And he has shared his love and has been thankful for God's past work in this church. And he knew that and declares that he who began that good work will complete it in Christ Jesus. And in chapter 1, he shared his circumstances that although he is in prison, the Apostle Paul, the gospel isn't. And then he shared his attitude to live is Christ, to die is gain. And that in all the difficulties that he was going through, he desired that Christ would be magnified. And then he began to address the Philippians' attitudes. And he made it clear that they were to be uh, stand firm in the gospel against opposition, to be united, to be humble. They were to be like Jesus. They were to have the mind of Christ. Then after giving the perfect example of humility, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself being obedient to the point of death, death and a cross, we see that he was exalted to his rightful place, back to where he rightfully deserves to be as Lord of Lords, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And thus, Christ being Lord of all, Paul gave believers some commands that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You see, God works in us through his word by his spirit, changes in our thinking, changes in our attitudes, and that is to work out in our behavior. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in us. And then we have the first command, do all things without complaining and arguing. That's a big one, right? Because that's what the world does. That's what we're tempted to do all the time. But as believers, we shine as lights in the world. We hold forth the word. And so we're to do all things without complaining and arguing. And then within that, he gave three examples of those who exemplify the mind of Christ. One, himself, and then Timothy, and then Epaphroditus. And then in chapter 3, he revealed that we would face opposition to the gospel. There would be fakers. There would be make-believers. Those who really don't know the Lord. Those who uh, ultimately glory in self, rely on their own flesh, and, and trust, in, trust in themselves in a sense. We see the Apostle Paul basically said, if anyone had a right to trust in the flesh, hey, it was me before I came to Christ. And he shared all his qualifications as a religious guy. And he said he considered all of that stuff as refuse compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus his Lord for whom he has suffered the loss of all things. And then we saw the mindset of the Apostle Paul, uh, which was to press forward, not looking back, press on to that upward call in Christ Jesus. Because if you have been saved, if you're a Christian, God is taking you unto himself. We're on our way to eternity, and he's changing us moment by moment, making us more like his son Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul says, one thing I do, I press forward, forgetting what lies behind. And then he encouraged believers and commanded them to, to mimic him in that, to mimic his faith, to, to be like Paul in that and others. Because those who aren't like that are on their way to destruction. Those who set their mind on earthly things are on their road to destruction. They haven't been saved. And so we came to chapter 4. Credible statement to stand firm in the Lord. Therefore, stand firm. Stand firm in him. And we saw that there was two women in this church that were at odds. And we saw how they were to get right with one another. They were to be like-minded. They were to be harmonious. They were to think like Christ. Think of others as more important than themselves. And then we saw last week a very important passage. And if you, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to grab the CD on the way out. How to overcome worry. 
You see, if you think about it, there's much to be worried about. If you think about it, there's a lot to be worried about, right? The reality is this life isn't certain, and there are difficulties that come upon us left and right. There are things that happen to us. There's unknowns, whatever it might be. There are people that might be against us. Whatever it is, there's a lot to worry about. But we saw how to overcome worry. And the first thing was that we are to be as believers rejoicing in the Lord. You see, when we look at who Jesus is and what he has done for us, that he has saved us from our sinfulness, that he has brought salvation from sins, wretched men and women forgiven through Christ who died on the cross for us, that should bring us joy and we should rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He said, again, I say rejoice. And then he said, let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. Uh, let it be, 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 go forth in a sense, your gentle yielding. You see, you don't have to have your rights. You don't need to hold to things right now. Christ will defend you. God is on your side if you're a Christian. Let it be known to all men. The Lord is near. He's near to those who are his. Trust him. And then we came to the portion in which we have the direct commands concerning anxiety. Verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Tremendous passage. You see, we saw that last time that worry is really a horrible sin. Because it attacks the core of our relationship with Jesus, if, you're a, if he's your Savior. You see, because if you have Jesus as your Savior, you came, to, you came to into a relationship by faith. You believed that you were a sinner and needed salvation, and you trusted in Jesus Christ. And now we walk by faith, not by sight. And if I am worrying, I'm not trusting. It comes right in the way of my relationship with a great God who gave himself for me. And so we saw last time, we are not to be anxious about anything, but that's kind of hard, right? Just to turn off that switch? No, it doesn't work, right? We have to take those things to the Lord instead. Worry about nothing and pray about everything. Everything that's come across you, all your concerns, all your difficulties, bring them before the Lord. Pray about everything. And notice he says, when everything by prayer and supplication that's a gentle yielding you're, you're he's god we're not right um, it's a humble prayer with thanksgiving thank you oh god although these troubles are great although i don't know what i'm going to do you're a gracious god you're a good god you gave yourself for me and i know you're working all things together for good i know you are thank you lord god and it says make your request known to god and then there's a promise a tremendous promise because when you're worried, what do you need? You need peace, don't you? Because you don't have peace when you're worried, right? You sure don't. I don't. When I'm sinning and worrying, I don't have any peace at all. But the promise is, verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses or is way above all comprehension, all thinking, you could never think of peace this much, that's this, this, this great, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, when you bring your request to God, 
rather than worrying about it. When you bring those concerns to Him, you cast your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. When you do it in a humble way, trusting and knowing who He is, when you're thankful for what He's done for you, and you make that request, Lord God, I don't know what's going on, but please help me here. Help me see it from your perspective, not from mine. Lord God, help me get through this difficulty. You know what? He says His peace shall guard your hearts and minds. Garrison, the term guard spoke of a military garrison, a guard of soldiers guarding your thinking, guarding your hearts. And that's what we need. And so if you are a warrior and you're a believer, there is hope for you because God tells us what to do, not to sin, but to pray instead, but to pray instead. And it's a battle. It's it's a battle. It's a battle every day to trust the Lord rather than to worry. It's a battle every day, but it's the good fight of faith. It's a good battle. It's a good battle. So with that in mind, we come to how we are to, uh, in, this, in the context, see things, how we are to, to, to address our thinking, how heavenly citizens are to think. And so we're going to see today what we are to be thinking about. Again, turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verse 8. Now I want to read up to it what I've just talked about. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And now our passage. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. That's what we're going to look at today, and it's a command. We're going to look at the first part of verse 8. But notice verse 9, because it's connected. I want to read this. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, Practice these things, or do, literally, these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Tremendous, tremendous promise. Tremendous promise. So with that, is it cold in here, or you go, okay? Cold, yeah, I was trying to make signals back there to have them cut the, but the cut, cut the fans, guys, for a little bit. Now, even I'm getting cold in my jacket, so... All right. All right. So, tremendous passage. So, with that in mind, what are we to be thinking about? What are we to be thinking about? Again, let's take a look at our passage today. Verse 8. Finally, brethren. Now, he begins this passage saying, finally. Now, in Greek, this is a word we've seen before. It actually doesn't mean the last thing. It says, I've got more things to say as to the rest of what I need to say and he says brethren finally brethren finally brethren as we saw earlier these philippians they are brothers and sisters in christ they are believers what i share to you today is to believers in jesus christ if you're not a believer in jesus christ you can be because god is gracious and he has revealed that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god uh, that uh, the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord and you can be saved 
And then for those who are saved, who have, a, who have a, the Spirit of God and the ability to trust God, he now shows us what we should be doing, where we should be thinking, what our minds should be at. Finally, brethren, those are true believers, children of God, finally. And notice what he says. He says here, whatever is true, whatever is honorable. Notice these whatevers. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. This command is for believers. If you're not a believer, you can't do it. You'll sit here being frustrated. It's for believers. Christ enables us for every command. He gives us the power to do them. If we're willing, it's all on the will. If I'm willing to do it, he enables you to do it. You see, now what's interesting, I want to share the structure of this passage. It's important before we look at it in depth. First of all, there are two commands in verses 8 and 9. That's what it is all centered around. The first one is at the end of 8. Let your mind dwell on these things. That's the first command. Then, in the middle of verse 9, practice these things. Those are the two commands that everything hangs on. And our first verse, which we're going to look at today, verse 8, we have a list of things. Whatever this, whatever this, whatever this, we have six things. Whatever those things. He says, then let your mind dwell on these things. Those six things he has just said. That's the structure of the passage. That's the structure. And so here we have a command. We have a command. Finally, brethren, and as we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the first foundational one, whatever is true. And next week, we'll see all the rest of them. Whatever is true, he says, you could say it this way. Whatever is true, let your mind dwell on this. Whatever is honorable, let your mind dwell on this. You could see it that way. Now, this phrase translated, let your mind dwell, is actually one word in Greek. The word is lagizomai. And what does that mean? It basically means something to the effect that we are to, to consider something. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And as I mentioned before, it doesn't take long to realize that the Christian life is played out in the mind. You see that what we think determines what we do. What we think determines what we do. If my mind is thinking rotten things, guess what? I'm pretty soon I'm going to be doing rotten things. If my mind is worrying, I'm going to be pretty soon dishonoring the Lord in the midst of my behavior, not trusting Him, Right? If my mind is thinking the right things, God will manifest that in our lives. You see, faith that actually, you see, if you have real faith, it's going to work out in your actions, you see? And if your lack of faith, it's going to work out in your actions also. So then, we see that. And actually, turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 5, because we see in this passage that basically Paul makes the case that where your mind is at, all the time. Now, sometimes our minds go over the place. But where you are, this is the way you are from start to finish. This is who you are. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. He says, For those who are according to the flesh, now in context, that's non-believers, set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit... For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. 
Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. You see, if you don't know Christ, you don't submit yourself to him and his word. You're not even able to do so. You see, it's hostile. However, if you are not of the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, if you've been saved and you have God's spirit in you, you are not in the flesh. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now we know as believers, we're tempted day in, day out to think the way we used to think before we came to faith. And guess what? If we don't actively do something, we will be conformed to the way we used to be. If I don't actively make attempt to change my thinking by allowing his word to transform me, I will be conformed to the way I was before I was saved. And some of you may have truly come to faith, but you have not been renewing your mind and you are conformed to the world. You're acting like you used to be before you were saved. Romans 12:2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or demonstrate what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. When we change our hearts, our minds, and we adjust it to what God has said, we, we take our circumstances and apply God's word to it and apply a relationship with him to that, we're going to act differently. We're going to act differently. So the passage, in the end of verse... Uh, 8 in Philippians chapter 4, it says, let your mind dwell on these things. Now, I've alluded to this word translated, let your mind dwell, lagidzomai, uh, lagidzomai, interesting word. Sometimes the Greek words have funny sounds to them, right? Lagidzomai. It basically means thinking according to logical rules. It was an accounting term, you know, one plus one is two, two plus two is four. It's, it's, it's logic, thinking according to logical rules. It means take into account, keep a mental record, reckon or consider. Think of something carefully. One lexicon says it this way. It speaks of a deliberate and prolonged contemplation as if one was weighing a mathematical problem. It speaks of deliberate, long contemplation. I can have thoughts that go in and out, right, all day long. But when I think about something very carefully, that's what this is talking about. Let your mind dwell on these things. And it is in an imperative mood. What does that mean? It means it's not a suggestion. God to believers is saying this is a command. If you name the name of Christ, if you say, I am a Christian, you name the name of Christ, then God is commanding you and I to do this. And if we don't do it, we are disobedient. And we will suffer the consequences. And if you are a believer, God's a good God. He'll spank us just like a good father so that we will start obeying, Right? So we have here, let your mind dwell on these things. It's also in a present tense which speaks of continual action. Continually, habitually think this way. Put your mind on these things. Now remember, we saw earlier that non-believers, those who are playing Christian, you know, people play parts, right? God sees the heart, but people play parts. They pretend to be something they're not. The Pharisees did that, didn't they? The Pharisees pretended to be uh, believers in the Lord, but they were hypocrites, as Jesus would say. You see, in Colossians chapter 3, excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, turn back a little bit and look at verse 17. Just go back one chapter. Philippians 3, 17. 
Paul says, brethren, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, whom I have often told you, now even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, or literally desire, whose God is their desires, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. It's all about this life, this way, it's nothing else. Now, it doesn't mean we don't think about what's going on here, but the believer is to apply God's word to those things, as we'll see. As we'll see. We know that we believers are to set our mind to things above. You want to go just past Philippians to Colossians. It's the next book. Keep your fingers in Philippians 4.8, but go to Colossians chapter 3. And these commands are for believers. I would have said I was a believer years ago when I wasn't. And I would hear something like this and I'd just go, whatever, basically, and walk out, you know. But the reality is when God changed my heart, I don't say whatever anymore. I say, wow, this is awesome. Lord, help me do this because I can't do it. And he does help me do it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, hey, you've united with him. His death, burial, and resurrection applies to you because you believed in Jesus. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, that's thinking, on the things above, not the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with God, with Christ and God. By the way, when we set our mind on the things of earth, that's where you're going to be worrying and depressed. I'll tell you that right now. Because it's pretty depressing. You think about sin and sinful people and your own sin, whatever it is, Right? Set your mind to things above. What's the things above? God has forgiven me. I, I'm a new creature in Christ. Jesus did it all, and I'm on my way to glory with him, right? And so we see here, set your mind to things above, not the things of earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So you see, where we think, actually, is where our behavior is going to be, by the way where you think your behavior is going to be that, be there. There was one uh, pastor from the 1800s wrote, the ideas and images of men's mind are invisible powers that constantly govern them. Well, I didn't need him to say that. I, the Bible says that we're not to be conformed to this world, right? But transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we would prove what his, his will is. It's absolutely crucial for believers in Jesus to learn how to think biblically it is a process to learn to think biblically in every area in your life and you will be blessed blessed is the man who meditates in the word day and night right you're not blessed if you're not thinking that way and we need to be taught and grow up and god helps us absolutely crucial that we submit our thinking to jesus christ and his revealed will for us that we learn to hold every thought captive. The thoughts come here and there, and, and they're, some of these are wrong, and they're evil, and whatever. And i got to say, no, that's wrong. That's not true. That's sinful. That's wrong. No, I'm not going to think that way. Lord Jesus, help me if I fail. Now, every one of us knows that our sin begins with our thoughts, doesn't it? It really does. Turn to James chapter 1, or hold your fingers in... Uh, hold your fingers in... Um, Philippians. We'll turn to James chapter 1. Ladies are getting close to this in their Bible study. 
James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. The term lust here just means desire in a negative way. When my desires carry me away, I'm tempted. My desire for ease and my desire for whatever it might be, if it's contrary to God's desires, it carries me away, right? says here, he says, it's carried away, enticed by his own lust or desires, and then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. Gives birth to sin. You see, when my desires go their way, right, and I give them myself over to them, the result is sin, right? The result is sin. Turn to Mark chapter 7. The Lord Jesus makes it clear where sin comes from. Sin doesn't come from how you were treated when you were a child. The temptation might. Evil things happen to people, right? And someone may be sick or, or have had a terrible childhood, evil parents, whatever it might be. And yes, that is a temptation to sin. But the sinning part doesn't come from that. It comes from inside. It comes from inside, as we're going to say. Mark chapter 7 Verse 18. The Pharisees were basically saying, hey, why isn't Jesus washing his Why aren't your disciples washing their hands? Why aren't they following our little rules? And Jesus is going to make the point, hey, it's not what goes in you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you. Okay? That's the context for this. Matthew 7, verse 18. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand whatever goes into a man from the outside cannot defile him? But it does not, but it, it does not go into the heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. He was, and, and he was saying, that which proceeds out of men is that which is defiles the man. For from within, out of what? The heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. It all comes from here and it goes out there. That's where our sin comes from. And before we act on sin, we've sinned way in advance in our minds, right? It's already happened, okay? It's already happened. One pastor writes, The greatest area of sin is in the believer's life is not in the actions, but in the area of thought. There's a whole classification of sins that would have been called sins of the mind. What was Lucifer's first sin? Sin of a mind, right? I will be like the most high. I will raise myself up, right? Pride. It's pride. We need to recognize that our sins begin in our thoughts. And so it is imperative that we pay close attention to what God is trying to tell us the passage today because he's trying to tell us to let our mind dwell on the right things. And he's going to give us a list. These are the right things. If it falls into these categories, you're thinking in the right area. Let your mind dwell on these things. And so we get some very practical categories for how our minds should dwell, should dwell. Now let me give you one more caveat here about this. It's not talking about positive thinking. 
He's not saying just think positive. That's not what he's saying. Like the false teachers of old, like uh, Schuler and Vincent Peale, or Joel Olstein, those guys that say, think positive and God will do all this stuff. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, let your mind dwell on these things. And we'll talk about these things. So what are these things? Let's look at them back in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true. Now, in, in this te- grammar, I'm going to tell you something before I keep reading. Uh, whatever, there's, there's the Greek term whatever after, before each thing. Each one has that. But the is is only in the first one, and it applies to everything. Okay? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is ever of good repute, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Think about them like a mathematical problem. Put your attention to these things. Put your attention to these things. And that's in the context of being anxious for nothing, but praying about everything, right? And it takes discipline to learn to think about the things of Christ, as we will see, rather than the things of me, right? Because I, by nature, want to think about me, and you, by nature, want to think about you. That's who we are, right? And so we need to think about these things. So notice he gives some qualifying statements in the end of verse 8. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. This whole list has to do with things that are excellent, things that are worthy of praise. Now, the only thing I know that's worthy of praise is the Lord, by the way, and the things that he does and what he says, right? The only things that I know are excellent are things of the Lord and the things that he does and the things that he says. So whatever. Now, this term whatever here doesn't mean like we think, you know, whatever, right? That's the way we see whatever, right? That's not what it means. It means literally as much as it is this. You could even say it this, everything that is this, all that, everything that's this, let your mind dwell on it. Let your mind dwell on it. And so he says here to begin, there's six things, and then two summary statements. And the first one we're going to look at today and finish up with that, whatever is true. And the next week, we'll look at all the rest of them, okay? Because I believe the first one is the foundation for all the rest. And so we'll briefly look at this first one. Whatever is true. Now, this is so important. This is so important because he's saying whatever is, and the is is a continual habitual tense. Whatever is continually true. Whatever is, is continually and currently true in a sense. Right? I could say my shirt is blue, and it is, right? It's continually blue, isn't it, right? That's true, isn't it, right? Whatever is true and we're going to see that whatever is true is the first in the list. And it's, I believe it's there for a reason. It's the first characteristic. It's the basis of everything we are to be thinking about. You see, we need to recognize that truth is very important. That whatever is true is what we should be dwelling on. Because so often we dwell on things that are actually not true. You know, when I look into the future in a sense, wondering and worrying about what's happening, that's not true. I'm not God. I don't know what's going to happen. But I act as though I am when I'm worrying about it, don't I? Whatever is true. But we need to also take out the worldly definitions of truth also. There are some worldly definitions of truth. A lot of churches think of truth as whatever works. That's called pragmatism. Well, if it works, it's true, right? It's not what this is talking about. It's not whatever works. 
It's whatever is true. You see, churches that do ministry based on results rather than what God has declared to be true suffer the penalty, and the people suffer the penalty. Because the church is to be the pillar and support of the truth, Paul told Timothy. The pillar and support of the truth. And as we'll see, the truth is in God's word. Now, man's wisdom... Now, also, there's another saying out there that's wrong. All truth is God's truth. People say that. Well, everything is God's truth, right? Counselors will say that. All truth is God's truth. Well, not from this perspective here. You see, there are things that might be observed and are true, but not in the context of what God says and what he has done and who he is. You see, the wisdom of man, James 4, is from below. And it's called earthly, natural, and demonic. And we are assaulted on all sides concerning truth. Satan, in the very beginning with Eve, tried to challenge the truth of God. Did God really say that? Right away, Satan wants to challenge that. So we need to understand what real biblical truth is. Now the term in Greek, aletheia, refers to that which was reliable, valid, real, genuine. It is truth as always opposed to falsehood. As always opposed to falsehood. It's truth. Now to understand truth, I want to share some passages from Scripture that help us see it. Because, first of all, it is a characteristic of the living God. It is, a, it is an attribute, in a sense, of the living God. Let me share some passages for you. John 3.33 He who receives his witness has set his seal on this, that God is true. God is, he's the real deal. He's true. Psalm 31, verse 5, Into thy hands I commit thy spirit. Thou hast ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. God of truth. In uh, Exodus, turn there to Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Exodus 34. Moses is saying to God, show me your glory. Show me your glory, I pray thee. And so God's going to show him his glory. He's going to show him his glory. And, and guess what? It has to do with his character. Character. Exodus 34, verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, and as he called upon the name of the Lord, then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. God's abounding in truth. Who keeps his loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, but yet no means will leave the guilty unpunished. After it was done, Moses hastened to worship him, to bow down and worship. So we have God as a God of truth. But yet we also see this in regards to the three persons of the Trinity. God is revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't understand it, but I believe it. One God Three persons. The Lord Jesus talks about the Father. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And this is speaking, excuse me, of this. Actually, excuse me, let me talk about the Father first. John chapter 7, 28, and John 8, 26. Jesus says, he who sent me is true. He who sent me is true. The Father is true. And then talking about the Spirit of God, Jesus said this in John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. 
John 15, 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth. John 16, 13, but when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own initiative, for, because whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose it to you, to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, Jesus says. He shall take of mine and disclose it to you. The Spirit of God, which we receive when we're saved, takes the truth of God and illumines it for us, discloses it to us. And then concerning Jesus himself, what did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John 1, 14, speaking of Jesus, he is full of grace and truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. God is characterized by truth. So if I'm to let my mind dwell on whatever is true, first and foremost, I need to dwell on the person of the living God, don't I? And where do I find him in the word, right? I need to think about God. I need to deliberately think about what God has revealed about himself, who he is, his character, That's one of our problems. We don't think about God enough. We think about us too much. I want to to learn about him. I want to know him. I want to understand this God who gave himself for me. We also see that God, because he is true, cannot lie. First Titus chapter 1, he cannot lie. Hebrews 6, 18, it's impossible for God to lie. And we find truth in his word. In his word. Let me share some verses. Uh, turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 142. It's a long psalm. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is truth. Verse 151. Thou art near, O Lord, all thy commandments are truth. You want to set your mind on what is true? Look at his word. Psalm 119.59. Consider how I love thy precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. The sum of thy word is truth. Is truth. In David's prayer in 2 Samuel 7.28, I'll read this for you. He says, And now, O Lord, thou art a God, thou art God, and thy words are truth. And thou hast promised this good thing to thy servant. John 17, 17, we have uh, the Lord Jesus Christ saying, Sanctify them in thy word. Thy word is truth. The Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 said, We should always give thanks for you, to God for you, beloved brethren, by the Lord, because he has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Whatever is true. Whatever is true is found in the Word of God. It has to do with the God of the Word. And we're going to see it has to do with His works. It has to do with His Word. And it has to do with His will that is found in His Word. Whatever is true. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, Timothy is told to handle the Word of truth accurately. In 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul makes it clear that he is to preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For a time will come, he says, when they will not endure sound doctrine, 
but they will accumulate teachers according to their own desires, right? And turn aside to miss. Turn aside to miss. He says here, he was said that will turn their ears away from the truth and to turn aside to myths. So we see here God's word is true. If, if you want to obey this command, you've got to be in the word of God. And if you don't want to be in the word of God, I don't know if the, word of God, if the God of the word is in you. You see, it's either sin's in the way. One pastor said, uh, sin will keep you from this book, right? Or this book will keep you from sin. See, God uses his word to change my thinking so that I obey him and walk with him rather than sin. And when I mess up, oh, praise the Lord, I'm forgiven because his word says so, right? If I confess it. Oh, it's wonderful. Well, lastly, we see his works and his ways are in accordance with truth. His works and his ways. Daniel chapter 4.37, after Nebuchadnezzar came to faith, the, the world's leader of the Babylonian Empire, who was so prideful that God humbled him. And he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true. What he does is true. And, and he says here, his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Amen. He's humbled me. I hope he's humbled you. Psalm 111, verse 7. The works of thy hands are truth. What God does is true. What God says is true. And God is true. So then, if he says whatever is true, let your mind dwell on these things, what should I be dwelling on? The truth of the word of God. You see... I need to apply that to my heart. I need to take God's truth and renew my mind. See, I think this way, it's wrong. I look at my circumstances, it's wrong, it's sinful. I've got to admit it. If I'm not willing to admit it, I'm in trouble. When I lean on my understanding, it's sin. But when I say, okay, Lord, what do you say? And I humble myself. I want to believe what you say rather than what I think. And so I go to the word of God. I go to the truth of God, whatever is true. Now, what is true is opposed to that which is false, to that which is false. You see, the reality is there is falsehood out there. Scripture says, as the Lord Jesus spoke of the devil and then those who are his, he says, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father, for he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Even believers can speak things that are not true, that sound pretty good and pretty wise, by the way. And I'll give you an example. Peter, the Lord Jesus is saying to Peter, hey, I need to go to the cross, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised on the third day. And Peter's like, Lord, forbid that. That's a terrible thing. No. And how does Jesus reprove him? Matthew chapter 16, turn there right now, Matthew 16, because our own understanding is not true. God's word is true. We can see and perceive situations, but we don't have all the information. And we need to allow God's word to filter in. Or we, when we lean on our own understanding, we're in trouble. When we trust in our own heart, we're in trouble. Doesn't mean we ignore reality. We apply God's word to that reality. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and priests and scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this should never happen to you. Well, that sounds pretty reasonable. No one should ever be crucified, right? 
Well, God's plan was for Jesus to go to the cross. But he turned him aside and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And I'll tell you right now, you may be a Christian, but maybe you are a stumbling block to Jesus because you are setting your mind on man's interests, which include your own, rather than God's interests, which are revealed in his word, which will always bring joy, by the way. You think the other stuff brings you joy? It doesn't bring you joy. It's a lie. God brings joy. God brings joy. Whatever is true, whatever is true, let your mind dwell on these things. Let your mind dwell on these things. Well, how are we to obey this command? Well, to obey this command, we need to have God's word dwelling richly in us. Colossians 3.16. We need to, as we saw, heard in Psalm 1, meditate on it day and night. I'm going to go to God's Word, and I'm going to think about it. I'm going to look at it and think about it like I would a mathematical problem. Lord God, put it through my mind. Put it through my mind. I'm going to renew my mind with His truth. I'm not going to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm going to set my mind on the things above, not the things of earth. Colossians 3. Now, some might criticize the Lord's people and say, how can you take care of your family? How can you take care of your financial problems? How can you get through school? How can you, when you're focusing on these above things, they'll say, you're spiritualizing. You're too heavenly minded and northly good. Well, the reality is, if you apply God's word to this life, you will be absolutely earthly good. You see, because he's God and we're not. And that's the problem. We think we're God, so we don't apply his truth. Whatever is true. Whatever is true. Let me bring this to a practical level as we finish up. When you're in conflict with others, irritated by a spouse or someone, your actions reveal that you're not focusing on the truth. The truth is love covers a multitude of sins. The truth is we're to consider others as more important than ourselves. The truth is there is no temptation which has come upon man except that which is common to man, and God will provide a way of escape that we should endure it. The truth is we're to have the mind which was revealed in Christ Jesus. I've got to change my thinking, and I need to confess if I've been thinking wrong. When we're not joyful, rejoicing in him, grumbling instead, I need to remember we're to do all things without complaining and grumbling. I've got to apply the truth to my heart. In his presence is fullness of joy. When I start to remember what he did for me, how wretched a sinner I am, and what he saved me from, oh, it brings joy. When we're worrying, choosing to dwell on those things, which is essentially falsehood rather than the truth, I need to remember he is sovereign. He's working all things together for good. And his wonderful promise that he is near and that through prayer, his peace will guard my heart and mind. God applies truth. God applies truth. Yet, folks, when we dwell on, when, when we do dwell on the truth, it will be manifest in our walk. Psalm 25. Verse 86. I don't think there's a verse 86. Psalm 25. (laughs) You're going, that's a pretty long psalm. Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5. And I've got like three or four verses left and we're, we're done for today. Psalm 25, verse 4. 
David prays, Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. Lead me in thy truth, Lord God. Lead me in thy truth. For thou art the God of my salvation, for I wait for thee all day long. Now go up to Psalm 86. Psalm 86. Verse 10. For thou art great and do wondrous deeds. Verse 10. Thou alone art God. Teach me thy way and I will walk in what? Thy truth. I want to walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. and I'll give thanks to thee, O Lord my God, all with all my heart. And then David says back in Psalm 26, and I'll read this for you. For thy loving kindness is before me and I have walked in thy truth. I do not sit with deceitful men or go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. He's walking in truth. Psalm 145, verse 18, I'll read this. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Brother and sister, seek his truth. Don't let it go. Apply it to your mind and your heart rather than your own thinking. Your own thinking is corrupt. It's wrong. We're all sinful. Proverbs 23, 23, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy it, do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 3, 3, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Don't let it flee away. Keep the truth running in your heart. Back in our passage, whatever is true, let your mind dwell on these things. Let it dwell. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray for everyone here. I pray for those who don't know you yet, Lord God, that they would know the truth, that your son Jesus loved them so much that he gave himself for them, that he bore their sins in his body on the cross and died for their sins and rose from the dead. I pray they would know the truth, that they're sinful and need a Savior because there's a judgment day but that if they trust in your son Jesus, they will no longer be judged, but forgiven and pardoned. And Lord, for those of us who have been pardoned through your grace by trusting in Jesus Christ, remind us to, to obey this command, to make our minds, set our minds, have them dwell on whatever is true. Lord God, alert us in our hearts when we are thinking things that are not in line with your word, that are false when we're worrying, when we're speculating, when we're assuming, when we're presuming, when we're thinking man's thoughts, Lord God. Help us to remember, to confess, and then dwell on whatever is true. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to keep our focus on your son, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Pray this in his precious name. Amen.